Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. Have you always dreamed about becoming a best-selling author? Well, I can make that dream come true for you if you're interested in writing a chapter for my next compilation book, Transforming Pain into Purpose, Triumphant Tales of Empowerment. If you're interested in learning more about writing and contributing to this compilation book, I'll put my contact info in the show notes. Please feel free to send me a DM on Facebook, or you can reach out to me through Instagram to learn more about this incredible opportunity to become an international best-selling author. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Megan Swan. She is a wellness coach and consultant, an author, and a podcast host. Welcome, Megan. It's so nice to have you here today. How are you doing? Thank you, Brian, for having me. It's a real honor. I'm I'm really well. I can't complain. It's like, you know, a very wonderful time of the year to be recording yes. this podcast. Yes, it is. Well, thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. I'm really excited to have you here and I'm looking forward to jumping in. So with that being said, let's get started. So as I mentioned, you are a wellness coach and consultant. You are a self-published author, a podcast host, a plant-based chef chef, and a yoga teacher. You are one busy woman, and that is a hell of a lot of hats. You're wearing quite an extensive resume. So how do you find the time for all of this, Megan? And how important is prioritization and organization to you in order to stay on top of things? Well, very important on the one hand. And on the other hand, I think, you know, what I've really come to understand and, and it's a big part of my coaching is helping people sort of trust in their own ebb and flow. So obviously I don't wear all those hats at the same time (laughs) (laughs) very often. (laughs) And just being okay that, you know, what you get done in a given day is, is what you got done. And that, that, you know, you're going to get a lot further if you're just okay with the pace instead of, you know, adding this layer of consistent self criticism that you didn't get enough done. We are our own worst critics. We are so hard on ourselves. Mm-hmm. So true. I'm very curious then with you wearing all these hats and being a serial entrepreneur, what does your morning routine look like? Well, I mean, I love my morning routine and actually that was sort of my gateway, if you will, into the coaching world. I was working with a health coach at the time. My kids, I believe were two and four or three and five or something like that. And I just was not feeling like myself. I was not I was surviving, not thriving as a a new mom, if you will. And at the time she suggested I get up even earlier, even though I was extremely sleep deprived and I thought she was crazy, but I agreed to experiment for two weeks. And at that time it was waking up, scraping my tongue, which is Ayurvedic detoxification practice. I can happy to explain it more. I will, because that's one of the things that sort of stuck from this original um, 20 minute morning routine. I now easily have an hour morning routine, but... The 5 a.m. club is not for everybody. It is <laughs> works for me because I've always been an early bird. And yeah, so I mean, I'll go into the, the tongue scraping in a minute, but I think what was essential for me 
in that first practice or experience working with a coach was understanding how impactful taking time for myself, even though I had to get slightly less sleep, starting my day with intentionality and doing something for me was just a massive game changer in terms of being a better mother, but also just getting traction on all these other things that I wanted to get going ultimately. So tongue scraping. So you can buy like a tongue scraper at any health food store. They're about $10, but I often use a spoon when I'm traveling just because it's easier, I think, to travel with a spoon and not have any, like, it's like a metal, a weird metal thing, the tongue scrapers. I've never had any problems, but I, I use a spoon and essentially you just scrape, like you, when you wake up in the morning, you have this layer of gunk on your tongue. And, you know, most people I think brush their teeth, but I know a lot of people that the first thing they do is drink a bunch of water. So you're essentially, you know, taking back into your system, all the work your body's done throughout the night to detoxify from whatever you consumed the day before. And so when you get into this habit, for me, it was like really hard to drop it after because it's just so clear (laughs) when you (laughs) scrape up this gunk, like to not do it, it kind of just grosses you out. Similar to brushing your teeth, I think. So, Yeah. yeah. You being a serial entrepreneur, have you always had the entrepreneurial bug within you? And if so, where do you think that comes from? Well, I always had the bug that I didn't see myself going down sort of the status quo path. And I think like the first demonstration of that was at... 30, I, you know, embarked on my own, I wasn't finding the traction I wanted in the, you know, my dream was to be in sort of the higher echelons of the non-for-profit industry in Toronto. And yeah, I just wasn't getting the jobs that I wanted. And also I was becoming sort of disillusioned about how similarly big NGOs operate to, you know, any corporation. And yeah, so at that point, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go on my own eat, pray, love. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go to Mexico for a year and then to Bali because, you know, that's where she goes in the book and then, you know, see where the universe takes me. But yeah, sort of the jokes on me because I'm still in my first stop 13 years (laughs) later now, but, but it did spark this, you know, just going on a different path and a path that like most people thought was kind of crazy, but just having this very deep rooted trust in this instinct that I had that that was what I was supposed to do, even though it wasn't clear why or like why there or anything. It was just sort of like stepping into this unknown was the only certainty. I need to do this. And yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a very long story as to how I got to where I am now, but sort of like some of the highlights that I think planted this entrepreneurial bug. I mean, just generally living in Mexico and seeing that it's it's a lot easier to start a business here. Like people don't think really that, you know, don't think twice about, you know, just starting a thing and seeing what happens and, and also it not being a big thing if they decide after a year, they don't want to do it anymore or it didn't work out. You know, they don't, not seeing like that that's heavily reflecting on them as an individual. And so after, you know, teaching English was what I did the first little bit here. And then when I realized I was going to stay because I was you know, in love with my now husband, I opened a yoga studio again. Like, I don't think I would have ever done that because there's just so many barriers, both real and perceived in doing something like that in Canada. And so yeah, I opened it. I closed them because every time I had a baby, I was the only teacher. So I had to close <laughs> it for, for a, a bit. 
And then I just kind of kept going, you know, I started a health and wellness magazine for a little bit. And I, you know, that was a massive learning curve. I really enjoyed that, which forced me to sort of get my, you know, go out into the community and introduce myself in my second language and, you know, connect with like-minded people and um, all these skills that you need in entrepreneurship. And I, you know, you start small. And so then I knew that yoga was always going to be a part of my life, but that that wasn't ever, that, that you know, doing only that wasn't going to be interesting enough forever. And so I needed to find something that was a little bit more intellectually stimulating. I mean, I think I'm not saying if one is wanting to go down that path, you can easily be intellectually stimulated, you know, perfecting your yoga career. But I was always interested in, you know, politics and um, globalization and like some of these bigger issues, which I think play into, you know, like all of the health and wellness issues that most of us are being challenged by these days. And so, yeah, I just found that coaching and helping people sort of tune out the noise and really, you know, figure out what works for them and find like holistic wellness for themselves as individuals. And now I do this for companies as well. It was just more exciting and fulfilling in the long term. It's just so much more room for expansion. And that's what lights me up. I love it. What drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and pushing and excelling at all that you do, Megan? Well, I think it's just, you know, my mission is to empower more people through optimal wellness. And I think it started with my own experience and and really seeing, you know, every time I sort of found another layer or, you know, an everyday toxin, if you will, or maybe even just a mindset or something that, you know, for me, for maybe even decades was just kind of a norm. And once I reconsidered my relationship with it, I realized, you know, how much more I was capable of. So it's two things, like just being really inspired to impact more people, but also it's just so rewarding, you know, the deep relationships I develop with, with clients in terms of, you know, dramatically shifting their lives. And so the, both things just keep me, you know, wanting to expand the impact of the project. Now I'm going to assume here, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the majority of your focus of your business is on helping to empower women through your wellness coaching, correct? Yeah. Well, I, despite the fact that all my messaging for the <laughs> last like five years has been only to women, just this year, for some reason, I actually had 50-50. I had a lot of male wow. clients. And I have to say, I think I, I kind of like healed a little bit of a shadow. I had, you know, not a disinterest in working with men, but I certainly thought that there were like, maybe there were certain things, particularly in terms of like spiritual wellness that I might not be able to reach them as easily, or I don't know. Right. I, I just sort of had this limiting belief around the ways in which I could support men on a deeper level. And I think, you know, I have proven to myself that that's not the case. And I find it extremely rewarding to work with men as well now. So mostly oh, I work with women. Yes. Right. Um, but as I'm expanding also into working with companies, you know, it's not going to be as applicable only women, although I think female leaders in particular need extra support. Absolutely. Now, did this original focus of your business and the messaging and whatnot focused on women, did that, some of that begin with, and that journey begin with some of your own personal struggles? Oh yeah. I mean, I think that's what, for what most of us, <laughs> the origin story, right? So yeah, like I mentioned, I personally started working with a coach within a couple months of working with her. I had signed up to become one and get certified in the same program she was in. And it just kind of expanded from there. And I think 
with most people, you know, in order for you to make sustainable changes in your life, it happens in, in layers or threads, if you will. And so, you know, for me, really considering my relationship with processed foods and sugar and gluten and animal products, and it's not to say that I like have kept all any or any of these things eliminated entirely with the exception of, of alcohol, um, which is a whole other tangent we can go on if you want. But. <laughs> well, sure. I'd love for you to share a bit about your, your personal journey. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I started taking dramatically better care of myself little by little and started with like, what am I eating? And then it, you know, I started a meditation practice and, you know, I had been doing yoga for 15 years. So on some level, I was kind of living this double life where I was this yoga teacher, had a yoga business, practiced yoga almost daily, yet I still drank a good amount of red wine and and I really loved dark chocolate too much, probably. And, and really just wasn't really doing anything for me outside of yoga. Okay. And I was just feeling like I was barely making it as a mom. And I was just depleted and sleep deprived. Like I was not sleeping well. And I was basically with this narrative that, oh, this is parenting. That, you know, I'm never going to have another an eight-hour sleep. And just, you know, it's kind of trying to adapt to this five-hour cycle and not realizing the massive impact it was having on my mental health. And so, yeah, little by little, I sort of focused on one thing at a time and got a deeper understanding of, you know, how does gluten affect my system? How does sugar affect my system? You know, I'd been vegetarian since becoming a yoga teacher 15 years ago, but that kind of like ebbed and flowed with the pregnancies. Plus here in Mexico, it's not that easy to be vegan or vegetarian. You kind <laughs> right. of get sick of quesadillas pretty quickly. And, you know, here in Mexico, you say, oh, yes, I'm vegetarian. They're like, so fish or chicken? And you're like, no. <laughs> So, I mean, that's dramatically changed in the last 10 years since I've been here, but that was the experience at that when I first arrived. And so, yeah, the alcohol piece was huge for me. So I've quit drinking four and a half years ago. I was a high functioning alcoholic for basically the first two decades of my, my drinking career, if you will. I never went to AA or anything. For me, they call what my, my story is what they call a spontaneous sobriety story. So basically, I just made a hard and fast decision. And also when I made the decision, I didn't say to myself, I'm quitting drinking forever. I don't think I would have ever done that. But I said, I did mindful drinking, you know, in air quotes, mindful drinking. It is a thing. It is often like a high functioning alcoholics denial phase of I need to make a change and I'm not willing to give this up. So I did that for a year in part because that was the year I was getting married. And as a little girl, I always imagined like having a, a champagne flute in my hand at, at my wedding. And, and so it's like, you know, can't not drink. But of course, when it's so integrated in your life, there's never a good time. So there was one, you know, last straw situation, which was essentially uh, driving my kids home after drinking too much wine at a girlfriend's house on a Sunday and, you know, waking up one last time where I was just so sick of being, you know, in the shame blame spiral and ultimately crossing so many lines that I swore as a child who grew up with an alcoholic father, I would never, ever do. And so I just decided I was going to quit drinking. I can't even remember if I said to myself it was going to be three months or a year. Regardless, I never went back and it's four, it'll be five years in March. And it's, for me, it was life-changing. Like, I don't think that that necessarily has to be the case for everyone by any means. I mean, I work with a lot of people that come to me because they're reconsidering their relationship with alcohol. Like it's been on the radar that maybe that's a thing they could 
you know, change and maybe they want to, but, and, and they need sort of, you know, another narrative. That's why I think it took me so long to reconsider my relationship with alcohol is I just, it was just so ingrained into my family culture, my, you know, friendship circles. Uh, it was really hard to see how life would be without it until I quit. So yeah. that is powerful. What would you say then was the biggest, most valuable takeaway or lesson through these experiences then for you? I think it's this reality that you don't know what you don't know. And so when you've been doing something that's, you know, not even necessarily super unhealthy or, you know, it's completely socially acceptable. It's become a part of who you are in a sense, like even maybe it's a deep part of your identity. So it's not something you consider changing yet. If you do, it's just like massive shifts happen and you realize like how much more, like maybe it's confidence you could have energy, motivation, clarity, all of those things to me are sort of like the are results of having optimal wellness and you, you can't, you know, work on all the things at the same time. So I think one that you just sort of need to pick what you're focusing on at a given time frame, and then find a way that it can become so integrated in your life that you feel like it is a part of who you are. That's newer, you know, newer version of you. And then it just kind of, it's this, this ripple effect where, you know, you pick another thing and yeah, for me, it's just been life changing to little by little take dramatically better care of myself on so many levels. For me, like what are non-negotiables now are completely different than seven years ago. And I'm also a completely different person. And I think most of us just kind of sit in this comfort zone and yeah. So comfort is great, but that's not where growth happens. So that's right. I was just going to say, you're not going to grow in a comfort zone. And I mean, we're constantly evolving as humans, so we have to take things one step at a time. And I think that if we focus on, like, look at it as a staircase, if we focus on the whole staircase, all the t- we're going to get so overwhelmed and not know what the hell is going on. Whereas if we take it one step at a time, it's more manageable. So the key is to focus on one step at a time, not the entire staircase. Yes. For me, it's really, you know, I tell clients like there is no one size fits all wellness. No. So it's really just, I think of threads of strategic practices that you can integrate into your life and you can't, you know, thread them all at the same time. It's like, yeah, we're going to bring one or two or maybe three in this (laughs) this month and you, you try it on. And this is the other thing that people don't want to hear is, is it's a trial and error process to figure out, you know, what are the practices that really serve you, but then also give yourself permission that, you know, every wellness trend out there isn't for you and that's okay. For sure. So what would you say is it that sets you and the work you do apart from other coaches? Why would someone choose to work with you over another coach? Well, I think kind of what I just said in terms of, you know, I start off the conversation being like, you know, I don't know at this point in this conversation, like we need to get to know each other. And that's how I'm going to be able, the most valuable to help you figure out what will work for you. But after that process, you know, I am confident that you are going to be so much more confident in ultimately selecting like what are the wellness practices you want to integrate into your life and also knowing when to integrate them and when to sort of let them go. And 
you know, I think another thing that sets me apart is I really focus on ebb and flow cycles. You know, okay. nature is about harmony and we, it's very trendy to talk about balance in, you know, the industry and between work life, pretty much at no point in time, are we on this tightrope of, you know, 50, 50, anything it's, it's kind of like a misguided analogy. It's more about ebb and flow. It's like, well, let's give the example of, of eating plant-based. You know, I say that because I'm not politically vegan. I eat vegan like 70, 80% of the time. Mind you, if I'm somewhere that that's really hard to do, it might be I eat vegan 10% of the time. Right. It's allowing that ebb and flow and it not needing to need to mean anything and just trusting that it'll come back to the healthy the flow that you feel best in and when it makes most sense. And uh, yeah, so I really just empower clients to find these answers. I mean, we do it together initially, but ultimately after, you know, usually a six month program, they're confident in, in finding their own flow and knowing, you know, in the different seasons, they might want to shift up things and how, and, and really just, in any individual practice, bring it in, in into one's life in a way that makes sense for them. And I think, you know, in the industry, we really, most experts, you know, like to feed us this narrative. It needs to be X amount of times a week, X amount of minutes, hours, like whatever it is. And if you don't do it exactly that way, it's not worth doing. And that's just not true. You know, it's, yeah. It's you can get a lot out of meditating if you're starting with two minutes a week because that's all you can you know imagine. And again, meditation isn't for everybody. No, that's <laughs> it, true. And two minutes is better than none. Exactly. In your opinion, Megan, what is the most important quality or skills or skill set in a wellness coach? Well, I think compassion. I mean, really, you need to meet people where they are. And back to talking about you know the many experts really saying like, oh, you need to do it this way or it's not going to work. Well, but if you're not meeting people where at their starting point, then it's going to quickly become overwhelming. And we're humans, you know, if we feel like we're failing at something, even though it's, you know, failing at being healthier, or failing at starting, you know, a new exercise routine or a journaling practice, if we set our clients up for failure, then uh, it's just, it's, it's really just missing the point. So it's, it's being compassionate about where they are and, and really being able to listen and sort of shift your, your perspective and your expectations based on where that individual is and all of, of their history. And, and um, I don't like the word baggage, but you know, all, <laughs> yeah. everything that they're bringing with them to, yeah. to the coaching. What is your greatest strength as a coach and consultant? Well, I've definitely been told that I'm, you know, very good at holding compassionate space. You know, a lot of clients came to me because they felt like they were going to be judged by someone else, you know, just by little things like uh, a former client who she, she was like, felt really bad about telling me that she secretly eats as like the, the gummy bears that are like really vitamins that she has for her kids. <laughs> <laughs> But like, you know, these secret behaviors, you know, if there's no one you can share them with, <laughs> hopefully you can share them with your, your wellness coach, because yeah. in order to get somewhere, you know, you really need to get honest for sure with yourself. And that's hard for most of us. Yep, absolutely. 
what type of person or client is your ideal client, Megan? Like, What things do you look for in a potential client before you decide that you're going to work with them? Mm. Well, I think I, I tend to attract uh, clients that have sort of exhausted the modern medicine solution narrative to whatever it is that they're dealing with. Or they've exhausted the regular, in quotes, you know, dieting or exercise routines. Like they feel like they've tried it all and they're still failing or they're not getting the results that they want. Or they're getting the results in one sense, like maybe they look great or they've lost the weight, but they still, you know, they're missing the emotional, the mental health piece, the spiritual wellness. You know, they just don't feel connected to themselves, to their work to their families, you know, they just feel like they're kind of going through the process. So I tend to attract a lot of clients that let's say that they've been given sort of the solution by modern medicine that it's not a big deal, but you just need to take these three prescription drugs the rest of your life and everything will be <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah. And they're like, uh, no, that's not a solution. <laughs> like, no, I'm, I'm only 40 or whatever. Like I'm not signing up for 60 years of meds. So um, just they're open-minded, I guess, and they're curious to find a more holistic approach to whatever they're dealing with. What would you say is it that lights you up or inspires you the most about the work that you're doing? Well, I think it's the confidence piece, you know, just seeing that, because I mean, I lived it myself, you know, little by little, you just make these, these daily micro shifts and decisions that prioritize your own well-being more than something else or somebody else's, which of course, like as mothers in particular, it's like a really hard mindset shift Yeah, that ultimately like you just have so much more confidence and this deeper well of sustainable energy and motivation and clarity, which to me, all those things go hand in hand with feeling confident about what you're doing on a daily basis. And you know, that, that in turn, most clients start to make other massive shifts in their life, which is why, you know, I really started educating myself on the mindset piece and helping support clients. I I do support clients as well that want to go into the the business side of wellness. And yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that everybody needs to change their career. That's it's more about helping my clients find um, a deeper sense of satisfaction in what they're already doing. Yeah. Sometimes that leads to them making other like massive life changes because they realize they were sitting in a comfort zone in other areas. Now, on the flip side of that, what would you say is one of the most challenging parts about the work that you do? Well, as much as I know that the reality is that we all ebb and flow, you know, like the trajectory to growth isn't like a straight shoot, you know, it's like this back and forth. And so sometimes watching clients go through this, like, oh my goodness, we got all this progress. And then, you know, a a month later, they kind of revert back to something that they were celebrating a couple weeks prior. So sometimes that's hard, but usually it's just sort of, you know, proof of concept that we need to do that. You know, like it's really not realistic to think that we're going to make this life change and then like never, ever, ever go back to the other thing or in order to make it like this lifelong stick of, of a, a habit shift, if you will, you kind of need, and in fact, I encourage clients to like, go experiment, go ebb and flow, go back into that thing that you're, you know, you want to quit, go do it, but do it and be all there. And, yeah. you know, be a curious scientist about how you're feeling, like, what are you getting out of it? 
And that will help you ultimately make better decisions in the long run and just have this deeper sense of confidence and clarity that, no, I don't want to do that because I feel X and I, you know, maybe it's regret, maybe it's, you know, just physically or mentally just don't feel your best, but you know, we, we need to find that clarity and, and also just this reality that the more somebody tells you, you can't do something like there's an immediate, you know, teenage rebellion. I'm going to do <laughs> desire it. Desire yeah, to course. do it. So <laughs> <laughs> it's much I love that to be analogy. Like, be a curious scientist. I love that. Yeah. So I think sometimes watching clients go through these ebb and flows when you feel like we've we've come a really long way and they've completely like ditched that habit and then you know six months later they're back. But I mean, ultimately, there's always just so much more awareness around what they're doing, and we all yeah. need to take our own time to make these things uh, a sustainable long term shift. Yeah. This is a journey we're on. It's not. A destination. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey of getting there. Exactly. And you have to enjoy the journey or yes. what's the point? Yeah, 100%. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the interview, Megan, you're a podcast host. Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast, the title, subject matter? Is it interview style? Is it solo? Is it a mix of both? Give us all the deets on the podcast. Yeah. So my podcast is called Energetically You and I'm starting season three in January. I'm really excited about it. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. It's been a learning curve, of course, a whole process, <laughs> but you know, for me, like it's this example of in entrepreneurship, you know, I'd said I was going to start a podcast for probably five years before I actually, well, maybe two or three. Anyway, it's one of those things where I was like, I need to do this thing. And then it just doesn't happen. And then I finally do it. And, you know, of course it's not perfect, but it's happening. And so initially my concept was half and half. So half solo, half interview. And I'd say it's more like 30 solo what I found is I just love interviewing people. I'm really good at it. I love having deep conversations with people. And I feel like those are the kind of conversations that people also want to listen to. And yeah, so I've, I've honestly just used it mostly as this really powerful networking tool to, you know, introduce myself to people in the world that I would n otherwise not feel like I had the quote unquote right to, you know, and it's been very informative. And I, and I think, so it's for, again, originally it was only for women, but I find like that my listeners are not only women. I think it really appeals across the board. I do have a, a male guest as well. So I don't know if that's part of it, but the content is really forming sustainable energy, optimal wellness, abundant mindset. And yeah, there's like a good mix of entrepreneurial or, you know, I think it's all, all of the mindset pieces um, kind of apply across the board for people wanting to keep at some, some goal that they're struggling to accomplish. And that's, love it. that's the podcast. Love it. Yeah. Podcasting is, it is a lot of work. And I think that's one thing that people really don't realize before they jump in that, oh, you know, I'm just going to jump. I'm going to start a podcast. And then once you get into it, it's like, oh shit, <laughs> there's a lot more involved than I thought. And But it is a great networking marketing tool. It's amazing to be able to sit down and have conversation like for this, for me to be able to sit down and have a conversation with you and learn about the work that you're doing and put that out into the, it's just, it's an incredible tool for sure. Well, and I mean, just hats off to you and your cadence. Like it's really, thank really you. Quite impressive. <laughs> thank you very much. I appreciate that. That means a lot to me coming from another podcast host. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, 
you're also a plant-based chef. What inspired you to go down the road of becoming a chef? Honestly, I just wanted to have more tools for myself <laughs> in the kitchen, but also to teach clients because um, I think having options that are plant-based slash vegan uh, on the mm -hmm. menu at home can be quite overwhelming and just it's like a foreign concept to most people. And so I wanted to make it more accessible. And I wanted to understand, you know, I think the hardest piece for most people is, uh, you know, not having an alternative for dairy. Right. And so, yeah, I personally really love, I'll be honest, I don't do it even weekly, but when I have a special occasion, <laughs> I love doing, because it's, it's like relatively labor intensive, not yeah. all of vegan cuisine by any means, but by making like a really decadent macadamia nut or cashew nut cheese, aged cheese, you know, vegan cheese is, you know, there's, there's a few steps. <laughs> I'm sure. But for me, it's always worth it. And I, I love to do it particularly for events. We celebrated Canadian Thanksgiving here and we had like a expat, most of the expats that came were American, but they were up for it. And we had, you know, like a real turkey and I did a, a vegan beef roast, which was all oh, basically okay. like porcini mushrooms and like a miso paste. And what was the other major thing? I'm forgetting like a major ingredient, but you would not believe how much it tastes like roast beef, you know, wow. rosemary, and it was like the, the red wine essence and, yeah. and, and nobody besides myself at the, at the event was vegan or plant-based, but everyone appreciated it and that it got eaten before the turkey. So I <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> and so you educate your clients on plant-based cooking and do you provide meal plans for them and whatnot as well? Is this part of it? I, I do. And I mean, this is one okay. thing that people come to me for, but it's only something if that's what they're interested in working on, you know, some people yeah, of course, are, of course. just want more confidence coaching and, you know, trying to figure right. out, you know, more leadership skills, if you will. But I think, yeah, I think everyone sort of is curious about this piece yeah. in, in terms of making it more accessible. And, you know, I, I do think honestly that, across the board, every human can eat more plants and they will yeah. eat better. And that's sort of the message that I really, really uh, hone in on. Beautiful. Now, with you being trained in multiple areas, other modalities, can you speak a little bit about that and how you incorporate those into your work as well as a brief overview of your approach? When working with clients. Yes. So I work with a base of six pillars of wellness and I walk every client through that, that same system. And it's sort of like, I, I feel like that's sort of the fundamental basis. And usually, and there are, is a lot of overlap between the pillars, but once we do that, and then I layer on uh, six pillars of mindset shifts that I feel clients um, can really benefit from. And all of this is personalized. Essentially, I create like a blueprint for every client. And I always start off with like a 90 minute strategy session and they come out with this blueprint and, you know, like a, a year long plan, if you will, on how to integrate more wellness into their lifestyle. Okay. And they can, you know, go at it from there on their own. It's, it's, it's very robust. Um, but a lot of clients, you know, just like the accountability and the support and sort of the ongoing conversation um, as, as they implement. And yeah, so I 
you know, the first pillar is sleep <laughs> back to my, <laughs> my situation. Yeah. yeah exactly. Extremely underrated you know, wellness tool. Just getting yourself better sleep nightly is life-changing in terms of physical, emotional, and mental and spiritual wellness. And then I walk people through some sort of, you know, bringing more plants into their life, really healing their relationship with food, helping them have like a more intuitive relationship and eating with and not feeling like any sort of stress or restriction in that category. Okay. Then I focus on movement and I like to say mindful movement because, you know, as you know, exercise is important and I think it's a really great tool for most people, but some people just kind of shut off. They're against it or whatever. And and I think there there's lots of ways that people can integrate more movement into their daily life. And ultimately that's what it comes down to. It's, you know, we want to just be more active in general, not just doing like our 30 minutes of cardio every day per se. And then I always inspire them to adopt some sort of mindful practice. So, you know, there are a dozen plus types of meditation. I think breath work is an amazing one. It can be more of a, a morning practice where they're doing a, a journaling, a gratitude journaling exercise or some sort of other ritual or just, you know, even just slowing down and, and taking uh, five minutes to drink a cup of coffee or tea and be really intentional about how they're starting their day, you know, thinking about, you know, setting their three goals. Mindful practices is like this massive toolbox of possibilities, but I think it really helps us have a way to manage stress and, you know, I would say heal our relationship with stress. You know, we, we, are, we grow with stress. <laughs> we yeah. need a certain amount of stress. Yeah, in our lives. of course. And so it's just understanding that we also need to have a tool um, besides sleep to help us complete the stress cycle. And, you know, it, the more intentional we can be with in integrating that into our life, maybe not even daily, but at least weekly can be really powerful for people. And then the last two pillars, uh, connection is the fifth one, which I think connection with ourselves that's, you know, a really deep well of work. Ultimately, when we have a deeper connection, self-love, self-radical self-acceptance, uh, you know, spills over into all of our relationships, whether they be in, in business, in our family, in our, in our major partnership. And then the last one is creativity and joy. That's something that I help clients thread into their lives at least once a week, something that sparks joy um, and gives them an outlet for creative expression. And yeah, so I won't go into the mindfulness ones because I feel like I'm already <laughs> talking a lot, but. No, that's uh, okay. The creative one is an important one. Creativity is an, having that outlet is important. And I also love that you mentioned the fact that we do need stress in our lives because a lot of people only see stress as something bad. And yes, when you go to an extreme with it, yes, of course it's going to be bad, but we do. We need stress in our lives. It, it helps keep us balanced. Yeah. And I mean, one thing that I was focusing on a lot this year, and I know I'll be focusing on even more going forward is, you know, there's a difference between having a, a massive stress load and, yeah. and burnout, you know, like yes. burnout is really at the point where, well, honestly, burnout is more about the culture, work culture you're working in <laughs> yeah. than stress load. So that's part of societal conditioning shit that gets in down that rabbit hole. 
<laughs> it's a deep one. <laughs> it is for sure. Absolutely. But I love that you brought that up. Thank you for pointing that out because I think a lot of people, like I said, don't realize that we do need a certain amount of stress, a healthy level of stress in our lives for sure. Yeah. It's the masculine energy. It's like the get stuff done. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's that. But it's again, oh, it's energy. finding a balance though, right? Yeah, it's it's not going to the extreme with it because then we're getting into unhealthy territory and heart attack and all of that stuff that goes along with that mass amount of stress. So thank you for bringing that up. I think that's a very important point to make. Yeah, my pleasure. Megan, what does the word empowerment mean to you? Well, I think I was actually going to write a whole blog on this. <laughs> that was on the to-do list. Didn't happen this year, but maybe next year. Because I use it a lot in my messaging. And you know, my, my mission is to empower more people through optimal wellness. And so it's a very important word to me. But I think maybe people can misread into it. And for me, it's empowerment from within. So it's not about your interest in having power over anyone else or anything. It's about feeling really deeply connected with your own energy sources, your, your essence, your motivation, your inspiration, your purpose. And in that deep connection, finding the power, if you will, to do, you know, to be yourself, to express yourself, to show up the way you want to, and just to have the confidence that your essence is enough and, and what you want to do in the world uh, is, is going to benefit people. And, and just sort of having a deep loving relationship with that. It's a cycle. You know, I think, you know, we're not always in this perfect state of empowered. It's this cycle of leaning into the energy and inspiration and, and the deep connection to purpose when it surfaces. And then also knowing when it's time to sort of cocoon and reflect and take a step back and, you know, maybe at that point empower someone else and, you know, help someone else feel that it's their moment to shine. But I think, yeah, so I don't, that's, yeah, that's self-awareness <laughs> is another important piece there. And that relationship with self is the absolute hands down most important relationship we will ever have in our lives and the longest standing relationship that we'll ever have with, with anyone in our lives. So it's important to nurture that and feed that relationship with self. Yeah. For me personally, like finding radical self-forgiveness has been yeah. like a, a massive game changer. No doubt. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful, Megan? Well, I think, I don't know. It's kind of hard to just pick one superpower. But <laughs> <laughs> you can do it. I, I believe in you. <laughs> I, 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 I think I have a unique ability to help people like with, through my intuition and creativity, help people connect the dots for themselves in new ways that ultimately, you know, it's, it's a game changer for them. So, you know, whether that's helping them do less and that being really powerful realization that they could be just as effective, if not maybe more effective doing less or just holding massive compassionate space so that they find this self-awareness, self-love, self-acceptance, maybe, and probably self-forgiveness on another level 
that allows them to have like a new perspective on, you know, what is their purpose, you know, really focusing on wanting all of these changes in terms of optimal wellness for, from a perspective of longevity and, and really just loving life and wanting to be here and be their best selves as long as possible, opposed to sort of like a short term, you know, maybe more superficial point of view. Holding space is definitely a skill set that not a lot of people possess. So it is very important for sure. Speaking of success, Megan, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? Mm, I think it really comes down to being connected to what your purpose is. Like, what is your mission? Where do you derive satisfaction in life? Like for me, and I think for a lot of people, it's having some sort of positive impact on the world. Like maybe it's on the environment, maybe it's on just your immediate family, maybe it's on you know, a, a certain set of individuals. And, and for me, you know, that's kind of how I got started as an entrepreneur. Like I, I saw, and it took my yoga certification to sort of have as this side thing, but I very quickly saw like just how impactful like one yoga class could be like one Shavasana session for somebody who was, you know, type a so stressed and, and just seeing like a massive shift in an individual in an hour for me, that was success. Like having that sort of positive impact on just one life. And, and now, you know, it's the same thing. I, I get that same joy um, and sense of success out of working with um, my one-on-one clients, but also just I've always loved educating and, and really giving people more information and knowledge that, you know, they can decide where to take it. But I think you have to figure out, you know, what is that intrinsic sense of purpose for yourself and then finding a way yeah. to define success for yourself. I think, you know, if you're letting someone else define what success is, you're probably never going to get there. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? Well, I think I'll go back to the, the alcohol piece. So I think just learning that it was possible to live without alcohol and not mm. just like survive, live, but really enjoy life. Like I thought for the, you know, my twenties and thirties, I had this strong belief that life would not be as enjoyable, as fun, as cool. I don't know. I had just very strong narratives around, you know, being very well versed in picking the best wine on the wine list and the different wine regions. And, you know, I still, my husband and I actually went to Napa Valley together this, this fall and had a beautiful trip nice. and I enjoyed doing wine tours without drinking any wine. There's just, you just see the world differently and, and I enjoy other aspects of, of the, the trip and of life. Um, so I think what I learned was just like how different, how much I guess alcohol was tainting my perspective of who I was, what I was capable of. Yeah. It just was really holding me back, which I knew kind of on some level consciously sort of starting in my thirties. Like I knew it was something I maybe wanted to fix. If that's the right word, but didn't yeah. see the way forward. And yeah, I was just in this ongoing cycle of, of not quite getting where I wanted to get, not seeing the path forward and really ultimately not having confidence in myself. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be one, two, three, forward answer type thing. Okay. I'll do my best. How <laughs> you can do it. I know you can. 
How would you describe yourself in one word? Well, passionate comes up first. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? I am going to tell it like it is. (laughs) (laughs) If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? That optimizing your wellness is a game changer. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Well, love. What is your favorite self-care practice? Let's go with guided meditation because it's like a massive (laughs) box of of categories. What is your biggest fear? Hmm. Not realizing my potential. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Hmm. I think inspiring other people to take better care of themselves. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What's one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their lives? Hmm. Well, I think that discipline and structure has a place. And depending on where you are in your journey, whether it's in your wellness journey or in entrepreneurship, and then also at some point you need to trust in the ebb and flow and not get too tied up in, you know, getting away from whatever your structure and and discipline is and just trusting that like when you get to another point or you know maybe next level you might need that sort of discipline and structure again but ultimately that it's just a a way of integrating more things into who you are and you become that discipline and that structure on some level and then once it's internalized you get to trust that it ebbs and flows What is one challenge in your life that has shaped you the most? What is the one challenge, would you say? Well, I mean, I think it took me like two decades to get over. My dad, like I said, was an alcoholic and he committed suicide when I was 17. And that kind of spiraled me into this victim mentality and jaded high-functioning alcoholism as like the, the way that I was modeled in order to handle stress and and live and so sort of glorified that tragedy maybe that sounds awful but yeah I just kind of like wallowed in it and it held me back and it wasn't until I was able to shift out of victim mentality and realize and really like remember all of the incredible things my dad taught me and not really focus on how he exited and focus on all the good and I think you know moving forward like that's For me, that's abundant mindset, really focusing on the positive, what you have already, what you've already accomplished, what is the beautiful part of the story in order to attract more of that. Because if you're always focusing on the sob story or the tragedy or, you know, what you went through, you know, of course you need some time and space to process these things. But if that's sort of where you marinate, then that's, you're just going to attract more of that. Yeah, for sure. That's a huge, huge mindset shift. And I mean, it takes a lot of work to, to be able to do that. And, you know, there is no matter what the situation is as tragic or terrible as the situations we go through in our lives, there is always always a silver lining. You just have to look hard enough to find it, but there's always one there. And that's what we have to take out of it, out of every situation is, and take that lesson out of it. There's something buried in there. Yeah. When I think like, as I I can like immediately shift back into my jaded self, if you will, and 
And that jaded person would have said, just not quite bought into that. And I think like for me, what was an important shift is just understanding it's a choice. Like you choose to focus on the good. You choose to be happy. It's not like something's just going to like spontaneously happen to you one day and that's going to shift in your mind. It's, it's just a decision you make to focus on the silver lining. For sure. What aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career? Hmm. Well, I think I'm resourceful. Let's go with leadership. Okay. I'm really, I think, see myself as an educator and yeah, um, yeah I dream big about being a leader in the wellness space. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Ooh, <laughs> hmm. I don't know. It's so hard to pick just one. I mean, <laughs> the easy, I mean, Oprah comes to mind. I, I honestly, knew it. <laughs> I honestly feel like, I feel like maybe Gabby Bernstein. Okay. I actually, I will, I, you know, I grew up watching Oprah at four o'clock every afternoon. Yeah. And so I feel like I know her pretty well. Like I'm sure I don't, but. <laughs> There's that feeling of connection. Yeah. Yes. Because of the, the TV, the TV show. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, I find Gabby really inspiring and we have uh, a lot of similarities. And I okay. feel like, yeah, she'd be if, an interesting person to hang out with. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Well, I think it goes to that happiness is a decision. Love that. Lastly, Megan, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Mm, Well, I just find that teaching other people to take micro shifts in terms of prioritizing their own health and wellness, it just comes back tenfold in terms of reimagining what you're capable of. And I don't think that had I, you know, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have believed that getting a better night's sleep consistently for three months could massively impact, you know, my vision of what I'm capable of an entrepreneur. And I don't think we make these connections on how deeply, like what we're consuming on a daily basis in terms of, you know, what we're eating, drinking, but also what are we, what are we reading? What are we listening to? Who are the people we are spending time with? What are the, the rooms that we're spending time in? Like just understanding that we have the power to control and curate all these things. And ultimately, the more that we can prioritize our own physical, emotional, mental, spiritual wellness and well-being, we're so much more capable of expanding uh, our own power. But then, you know, it just overflows into lifting other people up with us. Beautifully said and a great way to end the interview. Megan, thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today and sharing your insights, your wisdom, your knowledge, and sharing your story with me here and us here today. I appreciate you. You are doing such incredibly beautiful work. Keep shining your bright, beautiful light on the world. And thank you 
for being part of the Empowerography community. I'm honored to have you as a member. Oh, thanks, Brad. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. You hold massive, compassionate space yourself. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Megan Swan. She is a wellness coach and consultant, an author, and a podcast host. Thank you so much, Megan. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. You too. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.